Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms, conscious commentary on business and society. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. The Academy has been leading in this field for 27 years, but I've got to say this is the most exciting time we've ever seen. The possibilities are turning into realities, and the challenges are calling all of us to become our best selves. This podcast is designed to give the Academy's outlook on the economic, political, and ecological factors that affect our listeners. Today, we'll be talking about energy issues. Energy is the area that we cover every month because using energy is literally the most fundamental human activity. Our economy and our society depend on energy, and our energy system is also at the heart of climate change. Uh, Changing it to clean, safe energy is the crucial step in the survival of our species. This shift from toxic, polluting energy to abundant, renewable energy has the potential to literally unlock heaven on Earth, but failing to meet this challenge will send us straight the other direction. In today's lightning round, we'll discuss ways to protect your investments, including our outlook for inflation and energy stocks. But to start, Ronaldo, let's talk about the historic shift in power and control happening in the oil markets. Uh, Thanks, Matt. Welcome, everyone. Uh, This is a historic show. Uh, Look at your calendars, please. And and what I'm going to describe has not happened in 65 years. It's extraordinary. Here's what happened. On this show a month ago, I said that I didn't think for the first time that the oil companies would be able to make a price increase stick which was being justified on A, the Iraqi conflict, and B, the start of the summer driving season. And we saw gasoline prices spiking a month ago when we did this show. What I said then, and I want to repeat today, is I don't think they can make it stick this time. Now, every time in 65 years that they've used an international crisis and the onset of the summer driving season, in fact, either, either one of them will usually work, but when you put two together like that, the chances of the price of oil dropping back down quickly is extremely rare, so rare it has only happened once in 65 years, and that's this last week. So what happened is we correctly analyzed for our listeners that there was too much oil floating around the planet in tankers, that the refineries were full, that there was plenty of oil supply, that the Iraqi issue would not impact in any material way the volume of oil, even though the oil companies were pretending it would. So what's happened, in fact, I believe Iraq will end up producing more ultimately because the Kurds have now captured Kirkuk, and what's going to let them do is they're going to be able to control the output from that oil field, which the Baghdad government has not been managing well anyway, because the Baghdad government, as many of you listeners know, is uh, a fairly corrupt organization. Now, why I'm so keen to share this with you is that the oil companies tried what they always try and up until now have always gotten away with. They've always been able to increase our price of gasoline at the pump when they wanted to in order to suck egregious profits out of our pockets. As many of you know, there are a number of major oil companies, but if you just take the profits of the five largest ones, they make about $3,000, I believe, a second, if I'm not mistaken. 
And if you just think of how fast that adds up, in fact, there's a counter on the World of Business Academy website, which you can go to, and it will show you really quickly how fast the oil companies make profits. And remember, those profits that the counter shows you at the bottom, uh, those profits are ones that occur after deducting the cost of fleets of private jet aircraft, egregious uh, payroll for executives, egregious payroll for uh, preferred vendors, hiring platoons of lobbyists to destroy our environmental safeguards, hiring platoons of lawyers and lobbyists to, to bend the law to their benefit and to continue to get outrageous subsidies. And even with all those, quote, expenses, which they deduct before they get, to the bottom line, they're still putting $3,000 a second in profits because they've been able to control what they charge us and extract from us. So it's the reverse Robin Hood principle. They're taking from all of us to give to themselves, and it's always worked for 65 years. It didn't work last week, as we predicted it wouldn't. And if you look at the price of gas at the pump on your at the nearest intersection, Across America, you've seen the price of gas at the pump fall. Now, the Iraqi crisis has gotten worse in the last month, and the summer driving season is even closer. So what happened? What happened is the American public, by its rapid change to more fuel-efficient vehicles, has reduced the amount of oil they're consuming, and because we weren't panicked into filling our tanks by buying on the price rise, we just said, okay, well, we'll pay what we pay. We didn't increase our consumption. And because our consumption is going down faster than almost anybody but the Academy predicted, because of the change over the fleet, meaning all the cars on the road, because of the fuel efficiencies of the new cars coming on the road, because of the deployment of electric vehicles and all these other factors, we've dramatically reduced the consumption of petroleum in this country. And with all the petroleum that continues to get pumped in order for the oil companies to try and keep their profits up, because they have this massive system, which I'll come back to in a second, for pumping and moving and distributing and selling oil and and carbon-based fuels, because that system is so enormous and so complex that if the buyer at the other end just doesn't buy as much, even if it's only 1% or 2% less, what happens is the system backs up. And then they have to drop the price at the pump because they want to try and encourage more driving. So the price at the pump dropped last week despite the very best efforts of the oil companies and despite the baloney they fed you about the fact that it went up because of the Iraq crisis and because of the onset of the summer driving season. They constantly lie to the American public, to the world generally. And what it looks to me like is because we're doing something very smart, i.e. buying and driving fuel-efficient cars, we're not panicking when they tell us to panic. We're actually using less fuel, and as a result, over time, these people will get their hands increasingly out of our pockets. In fact, it's probably the beginning of the end of what we need to see for Divest Invest, which I'll come back to in a moment. I want to come back to that at the, at the end of this. But Divest Invest tells us that if you are going to believe that all the oil that's been already discovered will actually get pumped and sold, We know from reading Matt Taiba's article in the Rolling Stone, there's no conceivable way the planet can withstand that much carbon being put out in the air. So I'm going to switch real quickly now to Divest Invest. Matt, you saw something really interesting that just happened this week on that, right? Yes. Yeah, the World Council of Churches, a group representing about a half a billion Christians, 
says that it's not going to it's going to join the divestment from fossil fuels uh, so they're taking their money out of fossil fuels and they're encouraging all of their members to follow suit so divest invest is the removal of funding and support for fossil fuel stocks and any companies in the fossil fuel industry and the investment in the other side of the ledger which is renewable energy and uh, so sustainable or regenerative businesses and, and adding to that story, which I think is massive. Now, we said on this program three shows ago, we talked about divesting from oil company stocks. Uh, two shows ago, I repeated again that I haven't owned them for decades because of moral reasons, but I've also consistently said it's now a smart economic decision to not own fossil fuel stocks because they're at their peak values or close to it. There's very little upside. There's an enormous amount of chance they can go sideways, and there's a lot of downside potential. So divesting yourself of fossil fuel stocks is now a good economic decision, not only the right moral decision. And I think that the, 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 um, the decision by the World Council of Churches was actually based on a moral decision. And by the way, the World Council of Churches, which can't force member churches to do that, represents, as Matt said, a half a billion Christians. So that's a huge number of people that are going to be divesting. In addition, just to give you the other side of the religious ledger, the Catholics, specifically the University of Dayton, a Catholic university, has decided to do the same thing. They're divesting from all fossil fuels. So it, grows, it joins a growing list of universities and foundations, which are now going to say, you know what, we've had enough. We're going to get out of it because it's the wrong thing to own fossil fuel stocks. And increasingly, they're going to find out that it's not only the wrong thing, it's the wrong economic decision. In fact, they quoted uh, in the articles that we read on this, they quoted an announcement by, the, um, by an, an economist from the social responsible investing community who basically reported that uh, if they did, it's, um, by the way, it was the Thomas Van Dyke from the, I think it's the Royal Bank of Canada, SRI Wealth Management Group, who pointed out, and I'm, a, I'm quoting, to believe in the valuation of fossil fuels at these high levels, quote, assumes every single drop of oil and everything they have in the ground will be taken out, close quote, and neither Mr. Van Dyke nor I think that's going to happen, which means those stocks are overpriced. Now, where do you go with this information? Well, you go to First Affirmative. We'll talk about that at the end of the segment, because when we did the World Business Academy Fund that we told people they could invest in with First Affirmative, for which we get no fee whatsoever, we said that we would make sure it had no fossil fuels in it. So as fossil fuels continue to get hurt by this decreasing use of fossil fuels, which is going to escalate over time, our investments will be protected here at the Academy. We urge you to consider the same. And if you want to know more about that fund, drop us a line and we'll put you in touch with the people at First Affirmative. They are not a sponsor to this show. They give us no compensation whatsoever. We're doing this because we want you to know how we invest our money so you can save your savings and you can, you can grow for the future. Now, I want to talk just one more thing about this connection between climate and oil, and that's this risky business report, Matt, that came out from Hank Paulson, Tom Steyer, and Mike Bloomberg. So you got Bloomberg as an ex-Republican that he's halfway to Democrat but independent. you got Hank Paulson, former Secretary of the Treasury, former Chairman of Under Goldman Sachs. Yep. Yep. Under George Bush, Republican, and Tom Steyer, a Democrat who's funding environmental candidates across the country. The three of them teamed up an issue report called Risky Business, which basically says that the cost of climate change, as we've been saying on this program, is now getting to be where it's going to be in the tens of billions of dollars a year. I have a couple comments. One, first of all, I'm really glad Risky Business came out. I think it's, it's a good step in the right direction. I think it's woefully optimistic. Their assessment of what's going to happen by 2100 is actually an assessment of what's going to happen, I think, by 2135 or 2140. They're not looking adequately 
at the massive release of methane from the hydrates under the seabed floor, nor the massive amounts of methane being released from permafrost. I'd like it if people would ask us questions on this subject so I could explain how methane being released into the air actually is worse than CO2. In fact, as you've heard me say on this program before, if we went to zero, zero CO2 emissions tomorrow morning, you still would have a climate crisis because of the release of the methane, which is now causing so much heat itself that it's causing the planet to overcook and cause more methane releases. So um, before signing off on my little opening note here, I also wanted to point out that we have a, a project here at the Academy dealing with the Diablo Canyon Nuclear Power Generating Facility. Uh, if we have time at the end, I want to come back to that because I just want people to know about that project. You know we've been successful in helping to close the second-to-last nuclear reactor in California, San Onofre. And now we're focusing, the Academy's focusing on a three-pronged strategy to close Diablo Canyon. I want to just touch on that towards the end of this show. But without further ado, thank you for your patience in listening to this complex scenario about how fossil fuels, which as Matt correctly said, nothing is more fundamental, nothing's more basic, nothing's more ubiquitous on the planet Earth than our system of fossil fuel for energy. That's what's coming apart. That's what's going to be replaced. It's time to divest from the old fossil fuel economy. It's time to invest in the new renewables economy. You can do that on your own. You can do it by listening to the show. You can turn into Bill McKibben's 350.org, or you can go to First Affirmative, and through our show, we'll be happy to send you there. But at the end of the day, those are the things that you can do individually. So whether you've got $10,000 as your entire life savings or millions, you need to know there's something you can do in a change that's as big as the one that apparently has now started because nothing like this has happened literally in 65 years. Okay, Matt, I think that sort of ties up the energy sector. Um, where would you yeah. like us to take this next? Well, first, I want to tell everyone a, a little bit about the organization. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work relies on people like our listeners uh, to join in and help support it. We've... We have a $25 a month associate member level uh, that I'd like to encourage everyone listening to sign up for. Essentially, it would be a $25 a month subscription to uh, help us continue to put this show on and keep it free for anyone who can listen to it. If you're able to, go to our website at worldbusiness.org and click on the link on the right that says Become a Member. Uh, your support is truly crucial if we're going to be able to keep fighting for safe energy and a safe future for our families and our civilization. This is not an optional thing. We really need everyone who can to actually support the show. Again, it's worldbusiness.org, and click on Become a Member. Is there anything you want to add to that, Ronaldo? Just one thing. When you go to our website um, and you look at the home page where we talk about uh, the egregious profits, which are totally, totally immoral, outrageous. You can only get profits like the oil companies do if you actually rig the system, which they've done. But I want to just point out, we also have a second counter on that home page. That's the one that shows the CO2 to the atmosphere. You know, 2,400,000 pounds of CO2 goes into the atmosphere every second. So since this show has been on the air, we've put 2 billion pounds of CO2 into the air. Think about that, folks. That's how fast we're baking this planet. We have a planet with a fever, and we're putting blankets on it and putting it in a hot sauna. It's time to divest, to rid ourselves of this destructive, suicidal fossil fuel system. Whether it ever served us well in the past is not the question. 
It's can we survive it in the future, and the answer is no, and the future is coming closer every day. Now, that leads me in, Mike, uh, and it's something I wanted to say today, Matt, about the, uh, the Middle East. We can't ignore yeah. the Middle East is on fire. Of course, the war is raging in, in, um, in, in, in between Israel and uh, Hamas uh, and Gaza, the Palestinians. Uh, and it's, I hear there's another ceasefire. Today is the 17th of July. I heard they've got a ceasefire again today. They think they're going to slow it down. I hope they do. But, ladies and gentlemen, you do understand, I'm sure, that the instability of the Middle East, apart from all the enmity of the Shiites against the Sunnis, which you're seeing played out uh, in Iraq, in, in, the, in, the, in ISIS, which wants to set up the caliphate, this new uh, arch-conservative uh, Muslim state uh, in parts of what is Syria and Iraq. Not only are the Shiites and the Sunnis crazy mad at each other for over a thousand years, not only are the Jews and the uh, the Muslims going crazy with each other since 1947. I hope you can appreciate that apart from that base like, enemy, the, the, the fuel that keeps this bonfire going and growing is oil. So when we change off the fossil fuel system, which we're going to do anyway, and the sooner we do it, the quicker we get out of these incredible consequences of a suicidal planet environment, but we also can begin to put a, a different twist to peace in the Middle East. In fact, I believe the mm. Middle East could achieve a peaceful solution once oil has been de-emphasized because the, 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 the pot of gold they're all fighting for and using to fight with goes away. And those Muslim tribes who choose to keep fighting, will end up reverting back to more like the desert war warmen that they were on camels and horses 100 years ago. Israel, and I think is making woefully bad decisions under Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel has huge technology capability and enormous financial capability. It's, an, it's a hub of innovation. Israel will never fight its way to victory in the Middle East. I suspect the wise people there know it, and certainly the organization of Jews called J Street knows it. The key issue, then, is to create a new form of political union. I actually want to take today's show for another historic statement. I believe that the two-state solution may be dead permanently. It's yeah. clearly dead today. If that's so, what would replace it that would bring peace to the Middle East and do so at a time when the world's global demand for oil will be dropping, thereby reducing the fuel going into the bonfire. I would like to suggest that what could take its place is a Middle Eastern version of the European Union. With Israel and Jordan initially as its first two members, but I believe other Arab states, including Dubai, I believe Kuwait, I even believe Saudi Arabia, would also join such a union. And that union of trade, finance, innovation, technology, that union is what will bring peace to the Middle East and permit Israel to remain state and a homeland for the Jews, but safely within a larger context of an area, the Middle East, which is finally at peace. Ladies and gentlemen, if you think that's impossible, remember the Hundred Years' War in Europe. In fact, remember the fact that Europe was at war for a thousand years. And they would go to war constantly with each other, all over the place. It was downright barbarous.
And that's what the Middle East is today. Well, when you remove the fossil fuel economy as an aggravating influence and you appeal to the intelligence of each of the countries that I'm talking about, and there's a lot of intelligence there, and there's a lot of reasons to make a deal, frankly. The Saudi monarchy could topple if they don't make a deal fairly quickly when the price of oil drops below, say, $105 a barrel uh, on the uh, North Sea basis, Brent price. So I believe that with sea rise that's going to have enormous implications in the Middle East, take a look at the map of the Middle East and see how many countries are going to be underwater when we have a 30 to 35 foot sea rise, which is inevitable in the next 20, 25 years. So you take a look at that. You say, gee, there's going to be a heck of a lot of incentive for people to find a peaceful solution to get this carbon dioxide out of the air, to figure out a way to stop the, 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 any further releases of methane, and to live in peace because they won't have the ability to fight. Because the, the, the fuel for that fight, fossil fuel, will be in the decline, and the price will be stable against inflation. Frankly, it will be dropping as, a matter, as, a, as against inflation. So that's so, what I wanted Ronaldo, to share with you. Yeah, so my question is essentially if if we say if we saw a, a European Union type formation in the Middle East with over a billion people involved, uh, it, it could spread that wide. I mean, what what would be the underpinning of the economy? What's what's the new economy in the Middle East if it's not oil? Well, first of all, the Middle East is going to have the it has enormous financial reserves. The the Arab countries, particularly the Sunni Arab countries have massive uh, sovereign wealth funds that have been built up during the oil era. Israel has the basically an unlimited blank check. It can rely on the American Jewish community to continue to fund it, and other Jewish communities around the world will support it. So there, the funds exist to deal with this massive level of sea level change. What the Middle East has in enormous abundance is it has sunshine. So it could become the energy capital for itself to not only completely fuel its fleets of vehicles, not only make, you know, air condition all of its buildings, it's going to have to build enormous structures to contain the rising sea level. I can see a dike being built along key portions of the, of the Middle Eastern Peninsula, the Middle Eastern area that will be as high as 300 feet high. In fact, the Academy has done a series of drawings which show how those could work how they could be integrated, how they could be run on 100% renewable energy, how they could include transportation corridors, shopping corridors, etc. So I'd love to show that to anybody in the Middle East who wants to see it. But the bottom line is, those countries are going to have to spend hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars, quickly adapting their countries to become 100% solarized and... And, of course, some wind, of course. And, then, and we believe there are other forms of, of energy that they'll use as well. But, but at the end of the day, it's going to, they're going to be, have to become a hydrogen economy. And they've got mm. the, the trillions to do it with. And when they right. do that, they're also going to become an exporter of energy to other areas because parts of the world, which are going to be still cooler, like northern Germany, Finland, Scandinavia, would then be willing to import perhaps hydrogen the way they import today oil. But, but, but I don't want to get too far down this, this, this path. The point is, sure. to build a self-sustaining society, you're going to need a tremendous amount of infrastructure spending, which is going to keep them all busy. It's going to keep them re- they're going to need new banking structures, much more sophisticated ones. They're going to need uh, technological solutions, innovation solutions. And Israel could be the central node of such a mechanism, provided it did not try to control politically the Arab world. 
As long as Israel tries to control the Arab world politically, of course there will be no peace. But if Israel realizes that its real power is in its technological, innovative, and financial skills, then you're going to see a whole new day dawning. And let me just give you one footnote to show you how obvious that is. The only reason Paraba, Bank Paraba, and the other major banks have now paid massive fines to the U.S. government for doing things which in their country weren't illegal, they're only legal here, is because if you don't want to play ball in the U.S. banking system, you're not in the global economy. It's that simple. Now, is that fair that the U.S. has that kind of power because it owns the reserve currency? Probably not. But in a world where it's increasingly fractionated and where you can't get anything through the U.N. because of the, the, the veto power of Russia and China, it makes sense for the U.S. to rely on what it has as an enormous, powerful weapon called the fact that its reserve currency controls the global financial system. That same tool is available to a pan-Middle Eastern aggregation of countries who would decide to see that they could live in peace together and deal with common problems as a more economic, lucrative, and sustainable way to solve their problems than to continue launching rockets at each other, killing each other's children, and basically living like barbarians. Sooner or later, I'm hoping, like in Europe after the, the thousand years of warfare, that the Europeans realize that the French and Germans had to quit fighting with each other. I'm hoping that at some point the Israelis and the Palestinians will see how they can thrive and grow. And when they do, it will re reduce the power of the terrorists on both sides who will then not be supported by their populations because they'll see that they have rising economic activity and a safer society. That's the future. It's a great vision, um, and I think that it's something we should – you know, continue to talk about and promote as we can through our networks. Um, if you have questions, please do write in to us at info at worldbusiness.org, and we'll answer them on the air or uh, via email. And, you know, uh, this, um, we – go ahead. No, what you say? I was just, this I was just going to say, you know, I think that this situation and, and, you know, we see the headlines and the bloody headlines every day with the, with the continued fighting there. But I spent a little time in Israel relatively recently, and – the next generation of, of people there are really interested in a solution for uh, a real way around this conflict, and it's very challenging. Everything that you say, even the word politics, means the uh, the interaction between the Palestinians and the Jews. It's it's literally how they define politics. But there is a visionary and and more uh, universal understanding in the in the next generation there. So I hope that. This is a, a pathway to that kind of solution. It is. And, you know, I, people on this show have heard me say this over the years. You know, I've never seen, heard of, read about a problem on the face of the earth today. We can't solve with today's technology and resources if we choose to. So it's a, it's a question of will. Will the people in Israel become so fed up with their right-wing government that keeps them locked in a constant state of battle, that keeps them as an occupying force in Palestine for all these many years, since, I think since the 67 more, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, well, they get so fed up with that, they go, you know, we want another solution. We want to have a way to live in peace and have our children live in peace. Well, the Palestinians say, we don't want Hamas anymore. We, you know, they launch hundreds of rockets at Israel, and only one or two ever hit anything. I mean, it's crazy. And in return, the Israelis kill hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of civilians. Yesterday, four boys, literally four children, six to ten years of age, walking on a beach, which clearly were not part of any, any confrontation. So this insanity, this bloodletting, this eye-for-an-eye, tooth-for-a-tooth craziness, which is literally from the Old Testament, not the new one, 
This insanity has got to stop. You know, we, we did a lot of work. In fact, at the last monthly meeting, the Academy has a monthly meeting in Santa Barbara. And we, t- we passed out a paper. I don't, do you remember when the Iraq paper was like, it must have been, was 2007. It, when, when, 2007. So it's now um, seven years ago. We wrote a paper on Iraq, which we, we, we dug out of the file and we passed it out last, week, last month because our solution for Iraq at that time, which we proposed, and think of the, the, the trillions of dollars we would have saved. Think of the American lives, the American wounded, the, the burden on our treasury from having to service all the post-traumatic stress and injured Americans and all the honor. And think of the tens of hundreds of thousands of Iraqis and all the other people who died and the craziness, the destabilization of the Middle East, destabilization of Iraq. And what we said seven years ago was, it's really pretty simple. There's no country called Iraq. But if anyone wants a copy of this paper, they can get it, I'm sure, on our website. And if not, send us an email. We'll send it to you. There's no country called Iraq. And I quoted the first king of Iraq, the king of Iraq on that statement. He's the one who said that. Because what he was referring to is that Iraq was actually three countries trying to be disguised as one by Sir Winston Churchill. And the three countries I call Sunnistan, Shiistan, and Kurdistan. Now, the Kurds clearly are their own country. They're working fine. It's a growing, dynamic economy. It's capable of defending itself. When the, when the, uh, the ISIS group attacked Iraq, they couldn't make any inroads into, uh, into uh, Kurdistan. And in fact, if anything, by taking Kirkuk, they've taken the situation and improved it. Um, the Sunnis, who were in the middle of the country, overlapped with the Sunnis in Syria, they had the oil refining capacity, and the Shias in the south, Basra particularly, and all the Shias in Iran who control the country of Iraq, as you know, they all had the oil. So there was a natural possibility there for the Kurds to pump and refine and sell their own oil and give a piece of it to a, a federated government in common, for the Sunnis to, 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 to process the oil that the Shias would pump and making a profit on the refineries while the Shias would make a profit on the oil. And the whole thing could have worked beautifully if the Shia were willing to live side by side with the Sunni and the Kurds. But instead, Nouri al-Maliki, who had spent 20 years living in Tehran, who was appointed by Tehran to become prime minister of Iraq, who we accepted, I can't imagine why, because we knew he came from Iran, and he decided he was going to turn Iraq into a Shiite state, basically a, 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 a subdivision of Iran. And so he decided to disenfranchise the Kurds and disenfranchise the Sunnis. And that is what led the seeds of the current level of destruction. That's got to be unwound. And as just two days ago, they elected a Sunni to be the head of the parliament, which is what they should have been doing all along and what their constitution assumed. So that decision to do something rational, treat these three countries as three separate countries, and give them ways to relate to each other, which preserves their own autonomy, and their own political independence, but combines them in a bigger political structure. That's exactly the model for Iraq, and frankly, it's the exact model for a new European Union type of a setup for the Middle East, where you start with Israel, Jordan, maybe even, if we're lucky, the West Bank, and you add very quickly Dubai, you add Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and then you see a whole rebalancing start to happen. And that's what's possible, ladies and gentlemen. It's possible in Iraq today. But you've got to give up this notion that somehow Iraq's a country. And you also have to give up the notion that you can ever force the Sunnis to be governed by the Shia or the Shia to be governed by the Sunnis. It isn't going to happen. Just like we're not going to, the Israelis will never let an Arab Muslim population control the homeland of the Jews for Jewish people. And they, in turn, are not going to ever be able to control and subjugate 
the Sunni or Shiite members of their population and continue to treat them like second-class citizens. So there's going to be a resolution here. The question is, are we going to have to wait 100 years, 1,000 years? Do another 10,000 people have to die? Do another 100,000 people have to die? How many people have to die before we do what's rational, which is look at the obvious and address it? Now, I, I want to turn, if I can, from that comment in the Middle East, and I certainly hope our listeners will call in. Some of you may or may not know that I've been very involved with the State of Israel since 1970s, and I'm very proud of my association with what I've done over the years for and with the State of Israel and with the, all of my friends in the American Jewish community for a very, very long period of time who were the first and most active supporters of my work as a, as a consumer affairs lawyer here in California starting in the, in, in the early 70s and continue to be loyal supporters of my work and have been my business partners my whole adult life. So I'm, I'm really happy to talk about why I want Israel to get a win here. And I'm also happy to talk about why I want Palestinians to get a win and Kuwaitis to get a win and why I want to see Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and the other sections of the Muslim world moderated and engaged in this new form of a European Union type of collaborative. Now, I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody on that subject. If anybody wants to have it, send us a note, and we'll keep talking about it on the air, because we need to care about how our neighbors are dying. We need to care about how the future destruction will unfold. And if we do, perhaps we can offer some useful solutions that people like J Street or other people who are committed to solutions in the Arab and Israeli world can help to implement. With that in mind, I do want to talk, though, for a minute about Diablo Canyon. I referenced it at the beginning yeah. of the hour. Yep. Diablo Canyon is the last remaining nuclear power plant in California. It's stunning that the chief inspection engineer for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, so the people in charge, has said this plant does not operate in compliance with its license. It should be shut. Why? When every nuclear power plant was independently studied, why is it that this power plant was listed as the number one biggest risk in the country? And the answer is because this nuclear power plant, built to withstand a 7.5 Richter scale earthquake, actually is sitting not on one fault, uh, sitting next to a fault many miles, 20 miles away. It's sitting in a triangle of faults we now know. And we know when a fault touches another fault, the magnitude of the quake goes up. So you don't need to see a 9.0 quake like what hit Fukushima to have Diablo Canyon have a nuclear disaster. So on the seismic issue alone, this, this plant is a ticking time bomb. And every day that it operates, I forget what the statistic is, but there's like something like a, a one in six or seven chance every year that it'll have an earthquake big enough to create a seismic event. So on the seismic threat area alone, where we're working with our partners, Friends of the Earth, we want to contest at the NRC that this plant is allowed to legally remain open. It's crazy. It's a time bomb ticking, and it's in a vast population area. In fact, this show coming to you from Santa Barbara will be affected if there were an explosive situation there, only, what, 85 miles to the north because we're right downwind in Santa Barbara, about 90 miles downwind. The second thing that's crazy about Diablo Canyon is that it actually puts so much water over a, I think it's like a couple of billion gallons a day, over 2 billion gallons a day of water, goes into the ocean 
every day 20 degrees hotter than the ocean, meaning it's like constantly pouring really, really hot water into cooler water and not caring what you do to the fish life, the population of, of, of the ocean, even flora and fauna of any type. So this once-through cooling that they do, where they suck this enormous amount of water through, they cool the nuclear pile, and they shoot it back out to the ocean, they got an exemption in the Schwarzenegger administration many years ago that they in San Onofre would be exempt from what's called the, 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 the recirculated cooling systems. They got an exemption which ends in 2015. The academy, like we are active in the seismic situation, is now active before the water quality authorities here in California, the Coastal Commission people here in California, and we're pointing out that this exemption should not be continued. They must be forced to do cooling of that water so they put it back into the ocean at the same temperature they took it out. Now, the reason they don't want to do that is they claim it's going to cost them $2.5 billion to do so. I don't know if that's true or not. But if it does, then that's the price they will have to pay for this plant so they stop destroying our ocean. Now, I've got to say, folks, I know they don't want to spend that money because they've only got eight years left on their license. So they're looking and they say, gee, if I have to, if I have to really take care of the ocean, if I've got to do the right thing by the ocean, I'd have to close the plant. And they're right. They would. It wouldn't make any sense to put that money into a plant that's only going to run for eight years. And that's if it doesn't get shut down sooner because of seismic risk. So the Academy is doing a three-pronged attack to close Diablo Canyon. The first, as I indicated, is a seismic threat. It should be closed on that alone. The second, as I told you, is once through cooling, where two and a half billion gallons of ocean water per day flow back into the ocean 20 degrees hotter than they took it out. And the third issue is the health study that we released on March 3rd. And we've since now updated that with the response to the San Luis Obispo County health officials. And frankly, the San Luis Obispo County health officials, I think, have embarrassed themselves in this entire matter. We're demanding public hearings in San Luis Obispo, demanding of the state legislature, the state house here in California. We have released a study that the Academy paid for. We've used the services of Joe Mangano, who's the most widely published in peer-reviewed journals, 32 peer-reviewed articles on the subject. Joe, we asked him to look at the incidences of low birth weights, of cancer clusters, et cetera, et cetera, by zip code. study overwhelmingly concluded is what we had feared, that people are dying every day, in effect, from the strontium-90 releases of Diablo Canyon. So if you're 15 miles downwind, you're in the target. You're right in the middle of the bullseye. If you're about three miles downwind from the plant, you're probably still okay because they're still going. Those radioactive isotopes, strontium-90, are floating in the air, and they haven't settled the ground too much at that point. If you get past 62 miles from the plant, you start to get safer again. So what we know is there's a kill zone that runs from about three miles south of the plant, directly downwind, about 62 miles. And in that kill zone, people are dying because we operate that plant. We've called for public hearings. The public health authorities in San Luis Obispo County have had nothing substantive to say about our report. In fact, the two issues they raised, one of them, they forgot to read the report. They, they said we didn't age adjust it when, in fact, we did it. It's clear in the footnotes we did. So they just got that wrong. They didn't read it close enough because they were so scared. And number two, they said that we took selective zip codes, which is correct. We took the zip codes under the plume, under the radioactive plume, and we compared them to non-under-the-radioactive plume zip codes to the east, which remained normal, by the way. 
So what we, what we did is we demonstrated conclusively that this plant is killing people. And it's also responsible for low birth weight, children, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in the 40 years that that plant's been talked about, in the 30 years it's been operating, not once has the public health authority in San Luis Obispo County ever done a health study. Why do they have to wait for the academy? It's, just, it's stunning. And when we did do it, instead of saying, oh, my God, let's figure out a way to say this isn't true, they should have said, gee, that's an interesting question. Let's go figure that out. Maybe they're right. Instead, they fire off a silly answer for the press, which is only going to get them into more trouble because now we have a legitimate controversy and it has to have hearings. Because it turns out there's no question we're right. And by the way, we're commissioning another study right now. There's no question we're right. And we'll get a peer-reviewed article out of this for sure, which means it'll be published in a major publication. But the more important question is the morality. Even if there was only 1% chance we were right, you would want to dig into it if you're the health authority. The problem is that's the largest employer in the county. And the fix is in. I find that to be a tragic comment on how the people who run the public health agency in San Luis Obispo County view their Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. And I call upon them, any of them anywhere in the chain of command, do the moral thing. Look at it with a neutral eye. And if there's a flaw in our research, tell us what it is. If there's a flaw in our methodology, identify it. We'd like to get it right. We think we did. But what we don't want to do is have people throw terms around like, oh, that's junk science, and try to dismiss it. The truth is, we've gone on record saying, you're killing people. That deserves a really serious response and a thoughtful one, and it deserves public hearings. So the Academy has been attacking the Diablo Canyon plant on these three bases, seismic, health study, and the once-through cooling issue. We will continue to pursue it as long as our financial resources can sustain the challenge. But I have to say, just for a moment here, Matt, uh, we always ask people to support us, but it's particularly crucial they support us now. Uh, I can't do this alone. As many of you know, I do everything I can to keep this place going, uh, including I don't draw a penny of salary. I have to live off my savings to do this. And we just don't have the money from enough donors to do the job we need to do and, and, to, and, and, and to take care of the crises that we're so well-equipped to deal with. So I urge all of you listening to this, please Think about it. We're doing this for you. We're doing this for our children, our grandchildren. We're doing it for your children and your grandchildren, no matter where on the planet you live. Please support us. Please lend a yeah. hand. And I'd like to just uh, you know echo that and, and add to it, Ronaldo. Essentially, if you are moved by the things you hear on this show, know that we're putting them into practice. Uh, this show is essentially a way to keep our listeners and, and to magnify our message to a wider audience. But we're, we're working on all of these issues on a day-to-day basis. We, we spend about two hours preparing the show and sending it out. But this is, this is uh, essentially our, uh, Ronaldo and my work. Um, we'd love to share with you more information about what we're doing if you are interested and if you are interested in helping us figure out how to continue to support our work. We are you know, a small team and an extremely passionate team. Um, and the more you learn about us, the more you'll like it. So if you have questions, if you want to get to know us, and if you have uh, strategies and connections for helping us to continue to fund this critical work for the future of our, of our species, frankly, and I say that without any bombacity, this is truly how I feel, uh, and this is truly what gets all of us out of bed every day to do this work, uh, I, I would love to help you get to know our organization. So email info at worldbusiness.org. 
email me directly, matt at worldbusiness.org, and let's, uh, let's work together to, to really keep this, the ball moving on all these issues that we work on. Um, Ronaldo, yeah. we're talking more about Diablo. Are there any things you want to add to that campaign, or should we move on to our lightning round? No, I just I think before I lose the lightning round, I just want to say that one thing. So it's as you said, Matt, it's your like it's your work, it's my life's work, it's your work, and it's a, the work of a lot of really great people here that have to have a salary, even though it's a nonprofit type salary. They got to have salaries to feed their families or to pay their rent. So yeah. we, we've got this incredible team that is so passionate that puts out so much more. Than they ever, than you could ever ask them to, and we get this phenomenal bang for the buck. We get so much done for so yeah. little that people are amazed at how much we get done on such a small. They think we're this giant organization, and we're not. So, for all the people here, who frankly we want to keep employed, and for the people we'd like to bring to the team to help us with all these battles, and particularly the battle that's coming, where we're going to convert the state of California off of all fossil and nuclear fuel within 10 years or less. Because remember, the Diablo Canyon project is just one of the major projects of the Academy's Safe Energy Project. And, and included in that is what we call the California Moonshot, which is how we're going to take all of California off of all fossil fuel and how we're going to take it off of all nuclear. And we can do it within 10 years, and we can do it at no additional cost to California ratepayers. But we need your support to be able to make that case. And if we don't make that case, then California won't change until 2015. It'll be too late. And the report from Risky Business will prove to be as ridiculously optimistic as it is, because frankly, the situation is worse than Risky Business said. And I'm glad they said it, because at least they're saying something. So we need your help, and we need it badly. I just can't say that strong enough. Thank you very much for hearing that plea. Let's continue on with the lightning round. Um, Number one story this month that you need to know to protect your assets and your savings and to plan for your future is what's happening with inflation. Uh, on this program, we've consistently been saying since last December that we thought inflation would start to pick up by the second half of the year and that it would become a significant issue by January 2015. It would be, be, everybody would be talking about it the latest by then. Uh, up until three days ago, we were probably one of the few voices that were saying that. And the Federal Reserve, headed by Janet Yellen, who I have phenomenal respect for, by the way. I think she's doing a great job and is a great person. I was very glad she got the appointment. Um, just two days ago, her testimony before Congress finally said, yes, we see the inflationary pressure picking up in this quarter, and it will continue to pick up. And she, she started to talk about the idea of having to deal with inflation, which means raising rates. And she's talking about it in the next two quarters, not four quarters out. So we continue to reaffirm our assessment that inflation is starting to pick up its, its pace. And you're going to see that now in many ways over the next six months. We're going to get, hopefully, some help from the fossil fuel industry because as we continue to keep a cap on those prices at the, at the gas station, no pun intended, we actually are going to help ourselves inflation-wise. But there are other inflationary forces at work now which will tend to push inflation. The Fed has stopped uh, it's um, unwinding. It's almost over completely. All the bond buying it did. It's, it's completing that cycle now. And it will be turning towards the question of how to maintain inflation at an adequate level. Just the conversation will tend to rise long-term interest rates. So those of you who sold your bonds a couple of shows ago when we suggested it are going to be very happy because you're going to see the price of U.S. bonds start to reflect increased inflationary pressures, which means it will be downward pressure on the face of bonds for the foreseeable future, starting immediately. 
the other thing you'll see is if you own private real estate, a home, or are thinking about buying one, you couldn't have a better time than right this minute because the home real estate market is continuing to pick up and because you can still lock in a fixed 30-year rate, which will be immune to that inflation cycle that's coming, this is the way you can make real money if you're going to buy it. Now, don't buy the house just to invest if you're not a professional investor or if you're not going to do this as a business. But if you're just a homeowner, somebody who wants to buy a home, this is the time to buy a, your shelter, so to speak, your home, and do it knowing you're going to lock in the 30-year rate that's going to look extraordinarily attractive just six to nine months from now. And it's going to look downright genius a year or so from now. Now, that now combination of acceptable price in the real estate market, because you can, even though the markets come back dramatically, you can still get a reasonable price on a home, a residence, and the ability to lock in long-term money, those two factors together make it a buyer's uh, opportunity. This is the time. Now, that said, the housing starts were down, if some of you noticed that yesterday. And housing starts are down because... The economy has too much disequilibrium in the amount of people who don't have money and the people who do. So because 85% of the recovery's benefits have gone to the top 1%, and everybody else has been basically um, sucking on hind tit, as they would say in the dog world, because we're getting what's left, which isn't much, we can't afford to keep buying houses as we did in a prior period of time. That disequality of the, of the top say 5% and the other 95%, that gap is going to start to close. And we know it's going to close because the chairman of Goldman Sachs said it was time to start closing it. Lloyd Blankfein in a, in a, in a published article just two weeks ago. And other people, like the head of the International Monetary Fund, are calling for that gap to close. The governor, the man who runs the Bank of England, Mark Carey, is calling for that to close. Uh, the largest sovereign wealth funds on the planet, people with $34 trillion in assets, which is half the global GDP on an annual basis. Those people all know it's got to close. So there's a new consensus in the business community that these things have to change. And there's a new consensus, as Risky Business is saying, and as was said by the Chamber of Commerce of all places, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, we've got to take a new look at our politics and reshape it so we can address the climate change issues and the wealth equality issues. So we're, we're seeing that inflation is the big story. Uh, it's going to be picking up. It's not a crisis. It's not something where you've got to go out and buy a ton of gold tomorrow morning. As all of you know, we consistently said it was not the time to buy gold yet. Still not the time to buy gold yet. And for those of us who listen to us, you know, you're happy, I'm sure, that gold dropped in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and if you take a look at the last year, it's been going sideways, which is what we said it would do. Uh, gold will start to pick up at some point in the future. Don't need to buy it today. Keep listening to the show. We'll tell you when it's time to buy it. Don't sell, don't buy, just sit on gold if you got it. Don't buy it if you have it. Commercial real estate will go up. Um, you're going to see continuing strength in the commercial real estate markets almost across the board. Uh, very few markets where that won't be true. I'm seeing that there could be a slowdown in some unique places like uh, Las Vegas, for example, uh, which has been booming in the last year and a half. Uh, but is now running out of water. People are going to start figuring that out. Uh, uh, people who want to build projects that take two to five years to plan and construct are going to have to re-examine that because Lake Powell, which is the source of the water that goes into Lake Mead, uh, for the first time in my adult life, was not able to release any water to Lake Mead, and Lake Mead is the source of water for Las Vegas. So I'm looking at some pressure for smart investors to be careful in the Las Vegas market. But And there's some others I could name, but by and large, 
the opportunities are very great in commercial real estate, and I think you're going to see some continuing uh, increase there. Uh, bonds, as I commented on a moment ago, were we weren't wild about them last month, and we're less wild about them now that Janet Yellen agrees with us on the inflation call. We're starting to agree with us. So um, I'm not interested in, in bond purchases right now. Uh, if you're in bonds, particularly if they're U.S. Treasuries, you might want to think about getting out of them pretty soon. Uh, if you're in other kinds of bonds, depending on whether they're inflation-adjusted or not, uh, you might want to take a look at it because the interest you're earning could be less than the amount of the value of the bond drops in the next, say, 12 months. Uh, and last but not least, stocks. Uh, I've, I'm pretty comfortable with stocks. Uh, will continue to do as well as they're doing now. I do not see a major upside move uh, likely. Uh, I also don't see a major downside move. I think you could have a six or eight percent correction, just as people take profits and you know move things around in their portfolios. But that would be a blip, and it would go away over time. There's no fundamental reason the stock market has to drop precipitously, nor is there a fundamental reason why at the moment it would rise precipitously or at an accelerated rate. So for that reason, I think. Um, you can judge accordingly on stocks, and I continue to be a believer that the way to own stocks is to get into stocks that are safe, that can withstand inflation, some inflationary pressure, uh, and that pay a decent dividend. The decent dividend to me is 3% or more. When you live in a world of 1%, a 3% dividend uh, is going to underpin a stock well enough that you'll be able to see its value maintain or rise at or equal to the market. Now, as inflation kicks in, 3% won't be enough anymore. So get into those stocks now where you can get a 3% or more return and watch them and see if those companies are wise enough to lift their dividends as they, uh, as they develop further. Okay, uh, I think I've covered most of the lightning round subjects. Anything else that, uh, Matt, yeah. you think we need to do? I just want to do a programming note for everyone who's on our email list who receives this uh, radio show by email. We've changed so that we send out the email right after the show is recorded instead of sending it out in advance to let you know that you can just click and listen to the show. But you can count on the show being done. Uh, generally, we stick to a second Thursday of every month schedule, and you will see an email in your inbox as soon as it's ready to download. That way you can just click it and listen as soon as you see the email. Um, we will also post a reminder on our website uh, letting you know when shows are upcoming. So check our website go down to the events section about halfway down the page to see when uh, the next radio show is scheduled. And if you have any questions about all that, I'm happy to answer it. Yeah, let me just t touch on that. And one of the reasons we're doing that, folks, is because we're trying to be efficient with your inbox. In other words, Matt and the gang want to make sure we don't send you so many emails you stop reading them. So we're here as a service. If, uh, one of our best listeners, uh, George McCowan by name actually, just a couple hours ago said, hey, I didn't get a notice of the show coming on. I said, well, we're, you know, we'll, we'll look at that. And Matt and I talked about it before we went on the air today, and we're going to create a special list of you who do want to be notified ahead of time. So if you want to listen to it live, you can. So we'll, we'll create that special list. You'll continue to get the one that comes out after the show so you'll know it's there. But if you want to have your name on that special list, let us know. George is the first guy on the list. We'll put on some other people, and we'll send out a notice probably, what, a week ahead of time, Matt, so people can adjust? Sure. Yeah, I think that might be a good idea because some of you want to know what we think when a key news event is happening in the moment, and that's fair enough. So if you listen live, you'll get it quicker. Uh, I do believe there are other ways we can talk to you with email that I'd like to think about so that we can you know, slice and dice how you get email from us and make it maximally efficient for you and us 
and therefore of great value. What we don't want to do is just send out emails to send emails. You've got enough stuff coming in your inbox, and we've got enough stuff to write. It, let's, let's serve you as you wish to be served is our, is our goal. Yep. Um, so on that note, Ronaldo, this has been an especially uh, a heartfelt show, I think, and, and I want to see if you have a, a closing message for our audience that uh, gets to the root of, of our convictions and our, and our motivation here. Well, yeah, Matt, you know, and you and obviously you know what I'm going to talk about because I told you before I we went on the air just a little while ago. Um, yeah, we had a very special gift given to us. Uh, two extremely talented artists created a video. It's about five minutes long, so it's a YouTube-length video. And what they did is they tape-recorded me just talking, and they asked me a couple of questions, and they just asked me to just talk into this microphone in the studio and, and answer them. And I did. And then they took visual images and, and original music, and they put this video together, which is my voice talking. And the opening question that they asked, in effect, was, why do you do this? What, what, what motivates you to put this much of your life into what you do? What keeps you going? And my answer was, my grandchildren. Now, I love my children, and I'll do uh, anything for them. My children know that I go to any lengths to help them, and I will. But when I think of what I'm here to do, I'm really here for the grandchildren. Because the decisions we make today, as they noted in the, in the document Risky Business, the decisions we make today have consequences out more than one generation. We're literally sowing the seeds of our own destruction, of our own or our own survival. I am so committed to trying to leave the earth a better place when I'm gone for my grandchildren. And I hope those of you who have grandchildren will relate to it. For those of you who don't have grandchildren, I'd like you to think of those of us who do have grandchildren. I'd like you to think of anybody's child, anybody's grandchild. I'd like you to think of kids that have a shot, that need to have a shot, a decent shot at life. You know, our newspapers are full today, and our television stories are full of these children swarming into the United States from Latin America and Central America because their lives are endangered or they've been raped or both, and they have to escape. Six, eight, nine, ten, twelve-year-old children in massive numbers coming to our borders. You know, and I see that as a humanitarian crisis. And when I see that, I said, well, can we stop that? Can we fix what causes those people to come here? And the answer is yes. Can we help eradicate the violence in their neighborhoods? The answer is yes. But I know this, folks. If we continue on the path of climate change that we're on now, those migrations of tens of thousands of children will become migrations of hundreds of millions of children all over the world from one place to the other to try and survive. Now, I just got through writing the flyleaf, meaning a little editor's note, on a, a book that I'm very impressed with, written by a man named Urien Kamp, who uh, publishes a great m a magazine called The Optimist. And Urien asked me to look at the book and to make a comment for his readers. And the comment I made was basically this, I am an optimist. I really haven't ever heard of a problem I can't solve with today's resources and technology. So I know we can do this. I know we can create 
the world we want our grandchildren to live in. I know it's not even hard. It's easy. And in fact, we'll get rich doing it. And we'll create peace. And I think as the human society, that's what we're ready for. I think we've all had enough of this violence. We've had enough of this scarcity. We've had enough of being abused by the oil companies for their own profit gains. We've been abused by coal companies for their own profits and gains. I think we're ready now to stand up and say, what's the world we want to create as the human species that we are? How do we want human civilization to look? How do we want our planet to work so it's a Garden of Eden once again? We're ready to do that. And we can do that. And as long as I've got a drop of breath in me, or of any breath in me, or a drop of blood in me, I will work towards that objective. And with your support, we will achieve it. Because the way I like to look at it as an optimist is the solution begins right here, today. And I'd love to... Matt, send a copy of everybody on our email list. Send, send them a, a link to, the, to that very short video. I'd like to see yeah. if they will be moved as I am moved when I reflect in a quiet moment on what we can and, frankly, ought to do. Yeah, yeah and I will. Uh, we'll send that out to the whole list uh, when, it, when we publish it on our website. And I just want to thank you, Ronaldo, for that vision and for your dedication to this project. Um, I'm, I'm coming from the other end of the spectrum. I'm in my 30s. And I see this this project as essential to the future and the family that I want to raise. Um, so thank you, and, uh, and and we really appreciate your listenership. And if you can bring more people to this show and, and more people into the fold, we'd appreciate it. Um, as a reminder, this show really does rely on you telling people about it. So please send them the link and share it on Facebook. And we'll be back next month with another episode of New Business Paradigms, Conscious Commentary on Business and Society. Thanks again, Ronaldo. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to all the listeners. Goodbye.